We get it. You're busy. You don't have time to waste on the mainstream media. That's why Salem News Channel is here. We have hosts worth watching, actually discussing the topics that matter. Andrew Wilkow, Dinesh D'Souza, Brandon Tatum, and more. Open debate and free speech you won't find anywhere else. We're not like the other guys. We're Salem News Channel. Watch anytime on any screen for free 24-7 at snc.tv. And on Local Now, Channel 525. Have kept the faith. I don't want to be disqualified because I tried to do it my way. The Bible says I can say. Now there is stored up for me the crown of righteousness. The righteous judge will award to me on that day, and not only to me, but also to all who have longed for that appearing. Welcome to The Barnabas Effect with Paul Purvis, Senior Pastor of Mission Hill Church, a multicultural, multi-generational, multiplying church focused on shining the light and love of Jesus like a city on a hill. You're invited to visit any of the three locations in Temple Terrace and Tampa. For information and locations, visit missionhill.org. That's missionhill.org. Now, with today's message, here's Pastor Paul Purvis. Good morning, church. Welcome to worship. I especially want to add my welcome to those of you joining online or at our other campuses and those of you who may have come from a long distance, like my friends, Estefan and Daniel, who are our partners at Word of Life Argentina. Would you welcome everybody who is uh, with us today? Stephen is actually one of the translators that translated for me back in December in Argentina. And so, uh, Today, he just gets to sit and soak it in, so I'm, I'm glad that you guys are here. Take your copy of God's Word and turn with me to Matthew chapter 5. We're beginning a new message series called The Sermon on the Mount, and today's message is simply called The Disciples' Journey. Did you uh, hear about the Mexico City Marathon? It's kind of made some big news, about 30,000 people ran in this race, but 11,000 were disqualified. You know why they were disqualified? They, they didn't pass through the checkpoints. Now, do you know why they didn't pass through the checkpoints? It was discovered that 11,000 of them, some of them took a bus, some of them took bicycles, some even took trains, and yet they acted like they were runners in this race. Crazy. And yet... After, I don't know, 30 years serving as a pastor in the church and more years than that as a Christian, I've discovered that I think there are some of us who say we're in this race, we're in this journey, we're following Jesus, and yet, like some of those who were disqualified, we're actually frauds. Now, that sounds kind of harsh, and it's probably not a fun way to start a message but I would just tell you, that's, that's what Jesus taught us. Listen to the words of Jesus in Matthew 7. It says, not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven. But only the one who does the will of my Father who's in heaven. Many will say to me on this day. And this is shocking. So listen to this. It says, many will say to me on that day, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name? Did we not drive out demons in your name? Did we not perform many miracles? Then I, Jesus, plainly tell them, I never knew you. Away from me, you evildoers. Disqualified. 
frauds. And Jesus says this at the end of the best sermon ever. So the best preacher ever at the end of the best sermon ever says, hey, you need to get this right because if you don't get this right, there's trouble. You're going to regret it. On May 22nd, some of you will join me. We'll take off from a jet plane, and after a flight that seems like it's too long, we'll land in Tel Aviv, Israel. And then we'll get on a bus, and we'll go to the region of Galilee. We'll stay in a place called Tiberias, right there on the Sea of Galilee, and we'll spend a few days, our first days in Israel, just walking where Jesus walked and did most of his ministry. I'd love for you to come on that trip. One of the things that, uh, that we'll do is go to the Mount of the Beatitudes. Now, just picture in your mind, you're in Israel, the land of the Bible. It's changed a little. Like, so the Mount of Beatitudes, some of you have been there with me, it now has a big old bus parking lot. And like a lot of the sacred places, it, it now has a, a church built on it. But when you go to the Mount of Beatitudes, you'll, you'll walk past these placards, uh, these uh, These signs that say, blessed are the poor in spirit. Blessed are those who mourn. Blessed are the meek. Blessed are the merciful. Blessed are those who are of pure heart. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. Blessed are those who are persecuted. And you can stand there and and you can look out on that hilltop into the Sea of Galilee and you can think, I can hear Jesus preaching here. I I can hear Jesus speaking the Sermon on the Mount, the sermon about the gospel that really encapsulates everything he came to share, which by the way, regardless of what you may hear on late night TV preaching, it, it was not a prosperity gospel. It was not about how to make sad people happy or or how to make bad people good. It's about how to make dead people live. It's transformational. It's life-changing. Some have said that this message should be called the Sermon of the Monarch because Jesus talks about his kingdom like he does throughout the New Testament and how we are citizens of his kingdom. Dr. Luke records a little bit of this. His is not as long as Matthew's is, but in Matthew it's chapter 5 through chapter 7. Was this one message? Perhaps. Was this a summary of a lot of things that Jesus said? Perhaps. But what we know is that it expresses the heart and the expectation of Jesus for the Christian life. So it's pretty important. This is the disciples' journey. This is how we should look. But even beyond that, this is how we do it. So I want to dive in, but first, can we cover it once more in prayer? So Father, in the name of Jesus, speak. God, we need to hear from you. So give us what we need that we don't have. Teach us new things we've not learned. Make us different. And make these moments of eternal significance. Lord, change lives. Save someone today, Jesus. And Lord, to do that, we know that we need to pray against the 
forces that are working against us. So we declare that we stand in victory because of what you've already accomplished, Jesus, but we, we stand against the distractions of the enemy, the evil one, the liar. And so Lord, would you allow us just to, to zero in like a laser, to focus these moments, to hear these important truths from you. Lord, I'd also ask that you let the words in my mouth and the meditation of my heart be pleasing in your sight because you're my strength. You're my redeemer. I ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Got your copy of God's word? Matthew chapter 5. We're going to start reading verse 1. Now, when Jesus saw the crowds, he went up on a mountainside and he sat down. His disciples came to him and he began to teach them. Now, that's just the introduction, but I want to stop there because there's some important things I think you need to know. First of all, Jesus saw the crowds. I want to ask you a question. Do you see people as Jesus sees people? Do you walk slowly through the crowds? Do you look for opportunity for God's spirit to work in and through your life, however he may choose? Oh, I want to challenge you as, as we begin what in your Bible are these red letter words, the words that Jesus spoke. I, I want to challenge you to ask God to help you look out and to see people as Jesus saw people. But there's a second thing, just from this introductory sentence. It says, Jesus saw the people and he went to the mountains. Why would he go to the mountains? It's not fall in Florida. I mean, it, why did Jesus go to the mountains? It's because he was a revolutionary. And that's what revolutionaries do. There are some men and perhaps women in, in this room that have served in Afghanistan. And, and the craziness of the battle there against the Taliban is that these, these terrorists would flee into the hills of the mountains and it seemed like they could hide forever because that's what people who are bringing a revolution do. And make no mistake, Jesus was bringing a revolution. He, he was turning the world upside down. It would not be like some of his followers want. It, it was not a military revolution. But he was saying, you've been thinking about your God relationship one way. I want to challenge that. I want you to think differently from this point forward. But there's a third thing. It says, Jesus saw the crowd. He went in the mountains. And then he sat down. Well, why did Jesus sit down? You may not think about it, but it's opposite of, of what you might expect. In fact, could you do me a favor? Could everybody just stand up for a second? Because this is how it used to be in Jesus' day. When the rabbi wanted to speak with authority, he, he would just sit down. And they would stand and listen. So let's just try this for a Sunday, all right? No, okay, y'all can be seated. Uh, the, the reality is, even in the academic institutions of today, we, we have this principle. When a professor is tenured, when they have respect and authority, they get what? A chair. Some of you came from a Catholic background, and when the Pope would speak with great authority, they would say he was speaking ex cathedra, from the chair. And so Jesus sat down, and the end of this message, at the end of chapter 7, it says that when everybody heard what Jesus said, they realized it was different because he spoke as one who had authority. There's authority in the word of God. 
And so his disciples came to him. Now, I love how I read this probably, man, 25 years ago in a paraphrase of the scripture written by Eugene Peterson. It's called The Message. Listen to what it says. When Jesus saw his ministry drawing huge crowds, he climbed a hillside. And those who were apprenticed to him, his mentees, the committed, they climbed with him. Arriving at a quiet place, he sat down and he taught his climbing companions. Do you know who his climbing companions are? That's us. If you're a follower of Jesus Christ, you're on the journey. Now, that statement in itself means something. It, it means you're, you're one of the climbing companions. You're part of the group. You're one of the disciples who he called and you said, yes, I will follow. I have decided to follow Jesus. But it also means something else. We're still on the journey. Right? We're not there yet. We, we've not arrived. Say, I've not arrived. Hi, I'm Paul Purvis, the lead pastor of Mission Hill Church right here in Tampa Bay. Thanks for taking the time to listen to today's The Barnabas Effect. It's a ministry intended to encourage, equip, and empower you. You may not know this, but this ministry is made possible because of the generosity of listeners like you. We are able to be on the air because listeners like you are gracious and give to this ministry. Would you consider making a gift today? It would be our honor to send you a gift, a resource, as a result of your gift of any size. And you can make that gift by going to missionhill.org and clicking on the banner that says The Barnabas Effect. That will direct you to a simple way that you can give right there online. Thanks again for listening to The Barnabas Effect today. And now we continue with our message. So Jesus gathers with his climbing companions. Here's what I want you to understand as we begin what will be about 13 weeks in the Sermon on the Mount. There's some things you're going to have to embrace if you want to get what God wants you to get out of this time together. Here's the first one. You've got to get up to go with Jesus. You've got to get up to go up with Jesus. So the disciples came to him. That means you have to get up if you want things to be different. Say, I've got to get up. If you keep doing what you've been doing, you're going to keep getting what you've been getting. Some of you are not okay with where you are in your spiritual journey. I want you to know you've got to get up to go up with Jesus. But there's a second thing. You also have to give up to go up with Jesus. You see, part of what the disciples were learning is that when you follow Jesus, you said goodbye to some things. In fact, there's a story in Scripture about a rich young ruler who wasn't willing to do it, was he? He wasn't willing to part with those things that he felt like he loved more. And there's some of you, man, you're checking the boxes, you're coming to church, you're, you're doing good things. But at the end of the day, you've got your list of things that you're unwilling to give up. And I just want you to know, as you go to that next level, if you want to go up with Jesus, he's probably going to ask you to give up some things. He's probably going to challenge some of those areas of your life where you've gotten a little comfortable. But there's a third thing. You have to grow up. If you want to go up with Jesus. So it says his climbing companions came to him and he taught them. See, I want to challenge you just to, to each week make a decision. I'm going to come with God's word open and I'm going to ask God to speak to me in a new and fresh way. To teach me. Don't come in assuming, man, I bless me, I, I dare you. 
No, come in saying, God, teach me what you want me to get out of this time. Make me new. All right? That just sets the stage. So then it says, he began to teach them. And this is what he said. I want you to read this together with me, beginning in verse 3 of Matthew 5. Let's read it aloud. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. Blessed are the merciful, for they will be shown mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called the children of God. Blessed are those who are persecuted because of righteousness, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. And these, some of the most famous words in all of Scripture, the words that which a lot of people who do not follow Christ even know in some quote, these words are called the Beatitudes. And we could spend eight weeks just on each of these Beatitudes, just digging in and, and seeing what God wants us to see. They're considered blessings. They begin with that word, blessed. Some have called them the be happy attitude. But I want you to think about what Jesus is really saying here. Is this just a list of eight things that you need to do if you're going to follow Jesus? Is it kind of like the noble eightfold path in Buddhism? If you do these eight things, everything is going to work out okay? Is it like eight separate conditional blessings? Like we want to be blessed. We don't want to be distressed. So we want to do these things. And you do this and you'll get this blessing. You do that, you'll get that blessing. No. None of these is what it is. For if it were, it would be a, a weight too heavy to bear. And in fact, the whole Sermon on the Mount is going to turn things upside down. Jesus is going to say things like this. He's going to say, you've heard that it's wrong to commit murder. You're correct. But I'm telling you, if you hate your brother, you're guilty of murder. Jesus is going to say, you've heard that it's wrong to commit adultery. And you're right. But I'm telling you, if you think a lustful thought, you're guilty of adultery. So when you listen to this entire sermon, this sermon on the mount, this sermon of the monarch, man, if it's just something we've got to do in our own strength, we are going to fail. It's impossible. But remember, the Jesus way is different, right? The Jesus way is the grace way. And thanks to the grace of Jesus, our world really is turned upside down. Because the Bible says if anyone is in Christ, they are what? A new creation. All the old has passed away. All things have become new. So in the Jesus way, we get the verdict before we show the evidence. You understand that, right? Our way is we climb a ladder. And if we're good enough, God's going to say, come on in. You did great. But in Jesus' way is, no, I'm going to give you my blessing. I'm going to give you my righteousness. I'm going to declare you not guilty before I see you begin to live for me. I'm going to do it because of your trust in me. It's not a path to prosperity. It's not do these things and everything in your life will be happy. By the way, if you've forgotten, let this be my reminder that God really doesn't care much about your happiness. Shocking. He's most concerned with your holiness. 
If you look closely at this passage, you, you actually see it's a paradox. In other words, it, it says things that don't seem to jive. So blessed are those who are poor. Okay. Blessed are those who are mourning. All right. I mean, it doesn't seem to make sense, does it? Everything the world says brings me satisfaction and happiness. This is saying live a different way. That word blessed is makarios in the Greek language. It, it does have a sense of happiness, but it's deeper than that. It's, it's fulfillment. It's what Jesus was speaking of when he says, I've come that you might have life and, and that you might have it overflowing abundantly, that you might have it fulfilling. It, it, it's like experiencing a new beginning, the, the breath of life into you. It's, 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 it's a flourishing. You're experiencing life that is flourishing to the max. It's an upside-down kingdom. It's recognizing that even when the things around you look grim and difficult and challenging, Jesus is enough. It's a message of salvation. So I want you to look at these eight things a little differently maybe than you ever have. I I want you to look at them as the progression of the gospel, as the message of salvation in your life, as the disciples' journey. And I want us to see where you are. So let's start with verse 3. Blessed are the poor in spirit. Luke records this. He just says, blessed are the poor. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. What does this mean? Is this about what's in your wallet? (laughs) No. I don't think this is about being broke. Blessed are you if you're broke. (laughs) Oh, no. I think it's blessed are you if you're broken. If you see your brokenness, this is talking about a spiritual poverty, a spiritual bankruptcy. Blessed is the person who recognizes that they're spiritually bankrupt. Luke 18 tells the story of two men who go to the temple. One's a Pharisee. He's a religious guy. And he just steps out loud and proud. And he begins to pray in a flowery way so that everybody can hear him, so that everybody can focus on him. And then Jesus says, another guy goes, and he just begins to beat his chest and say, Oh, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. And Jesus says in Luke 18, which one do you think gets it right? See, there's something about getting to that place where you realize you need that which only God can give. You need someone to do something for you that you cannot do something for yourself. It's a humble acknowledgement of your desperation and your impoverishment before God. And Jesus is saying when you recognize that, you're getting close to his kingdom. So first question, have you recognized that? Do do you see your need for God? When I'm talking to a child, we talk about admitting that we're sinners. Coming to that place where we understand no matter how hard I try, I fall short. That's the background of that great hymn, Amazing Grace. John Newton wrote these words, even though he had been a religious person, he came to the place where he recognized without Jesus, 
no matter how hard he tried, no matter how much good he did, it would never be enough. So he would say, amazing grace, how sweet the sound that saved a wretch. Or perhaps even the word he used, a worm like me. Blessed are the poor in spirit. And then he begins to build on that. Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. Well, now that's another strange one. What does that mean? Happy are the sad? That makes a lot of sense. If you've been through grief, you know what it means to mourn. Why? What is he getting at here? Blessed are those who have this deep grief? I think it's more. I think he's reminding us that when you realize you're spiritually bankrupt, the only natural response is sorrow before God. You've been listening to The Barnabas Effect with Pastor Paul Purvis. The Barnabas Effect is here to provide listeners like you with biblical truth and spiritual encouragement. But it can't be done without your financial support. Go to missionhill.org and click on the Give tab. Your financial support helps us reach those seeking truth about God and themselves. Thank you for giving at missionhill.org. Be encouraged by The Barnabas Effect with Pastor Paul Purvis. Weekdays at 9 a.m. on Faith Talk Tampa. Online at letstalkfaith.com.